Marine conservationist isn't usually the kind of job you hear kids mention when they are asked what they want to be when they grow up. It wasn't exactly what Anna Oposa aspired to as a child either. But today, as the executive director and chief mermaid of Save Philippine Seas, Anna works tirelessly to educate people and effect change to preserve the beauty and richness of Philippine waters. However, as she's discovered, even when doing something she's passionate about, the seas aren't always smooth sailing. My name is Leah Cruz. On this episode of Wet Glass Ceiling, we talk to Anna Oposa. Hi, Anna. Welcome to Wet Glass Ceiling. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for having me. Okay, so you're a marine conservationist. That's, that's yes. basically what your occupation is. Is this something that you always wanted to become? No, not at all. When I was young, my big dream was to be a Broadway star. <laughs> so for, for a very long time, since I was maybe like nine, I was taking voice lessons. And I was every summer, I was in theater workshops. Um, and then in college, I majored in English studies thinking I would be a lawyer. Um, but also I, you know, I, I got good grades in, in, in school. So, you know, a typical Asian or Filipino family, it's like you either become a doctor or a lawyer or else sayang yung utak mo, diba? So that's the kind of conditioning that I had growing up. But I don't know, I guess the universe had other plans. Tell, tell us about the plans that the universe had for you. How did you become a marine conservationist? My dad's an environmental lawyer. So growing up, I was always exposed to different environmental issues. And he would take me to like cases and events and volunteer opportunities and marine protected areas. So I always say that I got my degree from the dinner table, my marine conservation and environmental law degree at the dinner table. But it was a very conscious decision for me not to pursue environmental work because that's my dad's field and he's he's very well known in that field and I didn't want to to follow that because I wanted to you know carve my own path um but after college well during college I was already active in environmental um work but then after college that's when I co-founded Save Philippine Seas out of supposedly just for fun or like a hobby. But it's been almost 10 years. We're turning 10 this April. Wow. This yeah. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Happy 10th anniversary. Thanks. Okay, so your bio does read not only executive director of Save Philippine Seas, but also chief mermaid. Yes. <laughs> so... Aside from the title and, and how you came up with that, tell us also about this nonprofit about Save Philippine Seas that you, I know, literally built from the ground up. And the yeah. fact that, that it wasn't meant to be a long-term, um, a long-term thing. Can you can you tell us how it ended up as a nonprofit organization? The chief mermaid title started out as a joke. So people were saying, can I have your business card? And our volunteer graphic designer then said, okay, I'll create a design. Tell me what title you want. And I was thinking about how other 
organizations had a uh, chief executive officer and chief finance officer. So I thought it would be funny if I was the chief mermaid. So that's what I put on my business card. And to my surprise, it stuck. <laughs> you know, even formal letters from governments would, oh, wow. you know, would say like, Anna Oposa, executive director and chief mermaid. Sometimes the, <laughs> the executive director part isn't even there. So I thought, lang. But then Save Philippine Seas is, it started out as a social media campaign 10 years ago as a response to this illegal wildlife trade case in the news. And I was then working for another nonprofit part-time doing SPS on the side and then kind of just trying my luck applying for funding, applying for grants, applying for awards with financial um, components. And then I started getting these grants and these awards and it kind of just grew organically. I didn't start, I, I didn't register SPS as an NGO until 2013. So there was actually two years where it was just a Facebook page. And the only reason why I registered it was because uh, a corporation in the Philippines said, we want to support SPS, but you need to be able to give us a receipt. Yeah. So that was my sign. Okay, I think it's time to register this and see where it goes. Okay, so from a social media campaign and then it it you had to register it, you really had to turn it into something official. What were the what were the points where in in building it, you you thought, "Oh, I think this is going to be bigger than what I intended it to be." You know, I still I think I still feel that way. Like, there are moments where I'm like, wow, SPS is actually much bigger than this thing in my head. Like, people reach out to SPS, they find SPS somewhere. So it's a constant, I guess, realization that I have. I never think that our work is done or that we're big, you know, which is maybe a good thing because then I keep finding ways to sustain this and and see how we can increase our impact. Okay. And and what are the specific things that SPS does? Can you give us an example of the work that you do? Sure. So we focus on um, environmental education. So we work a lot with, let's say, schools, um, different industries, corporations, other NGOs. We do a lot of work on shark conservation, which is my personal, maybe favorite part of what I or how one of the things that I started doing seriously many years ago and then waste management or circular economy so a lot of work on plastics and working with the different sectors in in waste management so it seems like you do a lot of educating yes always at the core okay Okay. and I read I've read interviews and articles about you and they talk about how you help sort of turn an area in Cebu into a shark sanctuary. Yes, yes. Can you can you tell us a bit more about that? So I won an award called the Future for Nature Award. I, I did it out of... I was just trying my luck, really. Um, I was 23 years old. You know, I was so inexperienced. And I wrote this proposal that my dream was to build a shark sanctuary or establish a shark sanctuary in the Philippines. And then I won the award. It came with 50,000 euros. And when you're 23 and SPS had zero funding, that's a lot of money. So, and it still is a lot of money for us. Uh, so I decided to move to Malapasqua in Cebu and start working with the different 
um, stakeholders there. So it was with the dive sector, the business sector, the local government. And after several years, we were able to uh, get the support of the local government to establish it as a shark sanctuary on paper, which is already a big achievement. But that was in 2015. Until now, we're still doing work to make sure that the shark sanctuary is working or we're trying anyway. There's still a lot of work to do. Because something on paper doesn't necessarily, having something on paper doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, um, it's respected as a sanctuary. I mean, what are the other... Exactly. What are the, what are the challenges that, that you face in really getting the locals and the tourists to respect it as a shark sanctuary? Well, of course, so the, in, in conservation, there's a term called paper park, which means the marine park is only on paper. So enforcement, so making sure that there are people patrolling it, um, making sure that they're getting paid and that there's money for the fuel, there's boat costs, you know, all of these things to make sure there are no illegal activities happening in that area. So that's been quite an adventure. I can imagine. And you you talk about it like it's but the, the way the way you talk about it, it sounds so simple and it sounds easy <laughs> and effortless. But I'm pretty sure that's not the case because so when when you were taking all of this on, what was going through your head? You know, when we started It was really hard. And, you know, growing up, I was always a very type A student. And I knew that if I studied well, if I studied hard, I would get this grade. If I study this song hard, I know I can sing it perfectly during a show. And in real life, in conservation and community work, it wasn't like that. So when I moved to Malapascua, I had like a very organized work plan, a very well-written proposal and again, you know, this was my first community-based project. And it was it was kind of a disaster because it was very arrogant of me to think that I can just walk in there and everyone will like me. So it took a lot of gaining the trust of the community and really hanging out with them and postponing all the activities. And I remember crying one night because we organized a meeting for 70 people. So we sent out invites, we prepared, you know, food and all those things. And like seven people came. Wow. And I remember being so upset and I was wondering, I called one of my best friends and I was, who also works in community development. And I was asking her like, why, why is, why aren't people supportive? And her point was, well, you need to gain their trust first of all. And you can't just go there and, and think that you're going to save that island, you know. They're already doing that kind of work. So it was very humbling, to say the least, and really a lesson for me to build things in collaboration instead of just me going there and assuming that I know what the community needs. How long did it take you before you actually gained their trust? I would say six months. There was a lot of partying and attending discos and singing karaoke and diving in the morning. So it was it was fun. It was fun, but it was also, you know, a lot of reflection on what kind of conservationist and I guess leader that I wanted to be. And you know, at, at that age that you were at at that point, you were 23 years old, and that's an age where 
people are fresh out of college and yeah. you know they're they're really exploring what they want to do they're having a lot of fun they're, yeah. they're celebrating their first paychecks and spending it all on things that they absolutely do not need <laughs> and you were there you were there in Malapascua trying to befriend yeah. the local community and doing a lot of the really difficult tedious work that comes with building something greater and did you ever think at any point why am I why am I doing this again? I mean, I should be I, I have a I have a college degree. I, I come for you know, I have a great background. I should be, you know, doing things for myself. I think I still think that way. Sometimes, you know, recently someone was like, Oh, this person bought a house or this person and then I was like, I'm really in the wrong industry. <laughs> I'm in the wrong job. Uh but m- more seriously though, of course I have moments like that when but I think we all have moments like that when we think is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this really the skill? This is really where I should be applying my skills. And, you know, a few years ago, I had a a really bad burnout. Um, and I was really seriously thinking of quitting. And because I felt like, well, Save Philippines is kind of like my baby. If I end it, if I decide to end it tomorrow, like, it's okay, I can. Um, but then I went through a lot of you know, thinking and reflecting. And I even tried exploring other careers, like looking into other jobs. But my realization going through that was it would be harder for me not to be a conservationist than to be a conservationist. It's like when people ask, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? And the thing is, I can't really imagine what kind of other option I would pursue. Maybe... A career in skincare cosmetics. <laughs> oh! <laughs> but it's still... Anyway, sometimes I think of other careers. I'd be like a bar instructor or yeah, working in a, like a per, in the personal care industry. Something like that. Ooh. Can you give us examples of specific moments where you really doubted your decision to dedicate all your effort, all your, your basically your life to this cause? There are many and I... F- I haven't had one recently. When I finished my master's, I, I, I had a scholarship to pursue conservation science. When I went back, I just felt so exhausted trying to run, say, Philippine Seas, mostly on my own then, and then trying to raise funds, trying to implement the program. I mean, for a while, for several years, SPS really felt like a one-woman show and I thought, bakit ko ba to ginagawa? Hindi ko naman to ikayayaman, di ba? Um, but like I said earlier, it, it would be harder for me not to be a conservationist. And there are times when, for example, I, I'm running a workshop or I'm out on fieldwork or working on something with young people or teachers. There's just this feeling where... I'm so fulfilled and so it's like you feel like you are where you're supposed to be. And those are the moments where I have to take a step back and think, okay, I think I'm just tired and I need to learn to delegate this to other people or ask for help, which I think a lot of founders or a lot of leaders struggle with um, admitting that they need help, admitting that they're tired, admitting that um, they can't do everything on their own. Being in conservation is definitely not the easiest path. I mean, for one thing, as a 
as a female in conservation, do you find that it's a little more discriminating, a little more difficult, a little more dangerous? Because conservation as a whole, especially here in the Philippines, is kind of a dangerous path to venture on. It depends what path you pursue in conservation. Conservation is so wide. When I was starting out, I was doing a lot of work in illegal wildlife trade, which I guess is a bit more dangerous because you're going against big, powerful people. Um, and and it, it, there were some times when I would be scared. You know, sometimes the corporations would have threats or try to intimidate me or people that I work with. Um, but now I work in waste and education and sharks, which I feel are fields that are more, I like to use the word benign. It's not so dangerous and it's more, I guess, connected with the communities that that we work with. So in that sense, I don't feel scared for myself or for the people that I work with. How about as when you started as a young female with technically no formal science background, was it hard to, number one, gain the trust of the communities or and number two, try to get um, big companies or foundations or organizations or funding bodies to take you seriously? I don't know if it's because I'm female or because I'm me. Like, I don't know how those two are are, are separated, but... Until now, I get questions like, I remember being young was a, a, a challenge because, yun nga, like you said, I don't really have a formal science background. I don't have a conservation background. And I would, medyo matapang kasi ako magsulat ng cold emails. So I'll just send a cold email. Of course, you're not gonna know my age based on the email, diba? So, <laughs> so that's an advantage. And I remember showing up to like meetings with mayors or senators or whatever. And they would be like, oh, I didn't know you were so young. And then I would say, and beautiful. Parang joke lang naman. Uh, but <laughs> I think being young um <laughs> an advantage because you know, the term imposter syndrome or whatever, imposter thoughts when you you doubt yourself. For me, I've always leaned into that imposter thought because it makes me overcompensate. So if I know that I am not well-versed in, let's say, shark science or environmental education theories, then I do a lot of reading, a lot of preparation, a lot of talking to different people to make sure that I'm prepared as can be. But I also go into meetings and whatever, negotiations and and pitches, knowing that I have a lot to learn. So I go in there with a the mindset now, okay, I prepared as hard as I can for this, like the good student that I've always been. But as a good learner... I will go there and say, I don't have all the answers and that's why I'm here and that's why I'm asking for your support so that we can figure this out together. In terms of being female, the difference that I see with my male teammates and counterparts is that I always get asked about my personal life. You know, people will always ask from like taxi drivers to boat operators to sari sari store owners will ask me things like, Alam ba ng asawa mo na nagbabiyahe ka mag-isa? Nagpaalam ka ba sa boyfriend mo? And for me, it's like, okay, first of all, why are you assuming that I'm in a relationship? And second of all, 
why are you assuming that I am a kind of woman who needs permission to do the things that I want to do, which obviously I am not. Um, and I get asked like, why I don't have children? Why I'm not married? And these are things that my male um, colleagues never, ever get asked. Do you think also that it you come across as strong to, for example, to people in power or or big companies that could give you funding? And that's a turnoff because you're a woman. I've never felt that, honestly. I've never felt that coming across as, you know, a strong personality or strong character has been a turnoff. I mean, or at least hindi nila sinabi sa akin. Hindi ko alam. <laughs> but I mean, you know, SBS has been around for almost <laughs> 10 years. And I think, if anything, we've had a lot of repeat supporters and donors. So I would like to think that part of that is because of the kind of confidence and the kind of, um, I guess, quality of work that we've we've been able to deliver. And I have to ask, I'll go back to those taxi drivers, sari sari store owners who ask those questions that normally the males wouldn't get asked. Do you feel that because of your chosen path in life, um, you get scrutinized and there's all this pressure to have to conform to society's gender roles. Do, do, do you, what's like the worst incident that, that you've been put in because of that? I don't know if I can call it the worst, but one of the things that always, it, it, it hurt me the first time that I, I heard it was, you need to have kids because you have to have purpose in life. And, when I heard, I've heard it many times after that, but now I'm a bit more, I'm better at managing my emotions because at first I was like, what are you saying? Like marine conservation is not a worthy purpose. <laughs> I was so offended. Oh, but then now yeah. I try to be more patient and just try to see na maybe they're saying that because they're happy and they've found their purpose by being a mother. And I'm happy for them. But you know, and Elizabeth Gilbert has said this, we get questioned for not having children, but we never get questioned for having children. So I guess that's parang the default default expectation, especially in a country like the Philippines. Because I don't feel like I get asked that in other countries. And given that, um, what are the other difficulties that you've had to overcome because you're in the Philippines, because of the cultural norms here in the Philippines in doing what you do? I guess a, a lot of cultural norms... You know, like the woman should stay home and take care of the house. And it's kind of strange for like a woman to travel by herself, um, to be like leading organizations. Although now there are a lot of female-led um, enterprises, which I think is great. And we're trying, we're slowly changing that. Um, there's also an expectation that women should kind of not be so opinionated. So sometimes people get surprised that I will always speak up. Um, and I make it the point to encourage other women also to speak up. The path that you've chosen 
uh, being in conservation, it definitely sounds like it's completely all-encompassing in all aspects of your life. But how do you find balance with the rest of your life? Do you compartmentalize it or do you attempt to do that at all? So my friends and I, um, I have this close group of girlfriends and every year we decide on a word, like our theme for the year. So for 2021, the word that I chose is actually balance because I feel like I'm not very good at it. Um, I've always been an all-in person. So if I go into something, I commit 110, 200%, which, which is good in terms of the outputs that I have, but not always good for my own like mental health, my emotional well-being. Um, and this is something that I really, really struggle with. Um, I, sometimes I just can't turn it off. I can't turn off my brain and... I think the downside of following your passion or pursuing the job that you love is that it's not eight to five. eh? For me, it's like 24-7. I'm constantly thinking about how to sustain the operations of SBS, how to get more supporters, how to have a greater impact. But what I do try, which I've been a lot more conscious about, is having off uh, no screen time, so I don't sleep with my phone in my room. By 10 a.m., uh, sorry, 10 p.m., I put my phone down. I go to my room and read, or I don't know, read yeah, read books, read magazines, and then I don't pick it up until after coffee, just so that it's not the first and last thing that I see every day. Um, I also am very. My workout time every day is sacred to me. So I, I allocate maybe 30 minutes to an hour of working out. And this is the time. This is like my form of meditation where I don't think about work and just focus on trying to survive the hard workout that I set up for myself. <laughs> okay. So yeah, those are like my self-care uh, practices. And I also have a lot of really good friends in the development world um, and I'm also still close to my high school friends. So those relationships have been really important in making sure that I stay true to the things that I want to do and stay true to the kind of personality that I have. Okay. But given that, and then you see that, we all see that there, it's, it's difficult to maintain that sort of balance. And yeah. since you already mentioned that that you you really go all in when when you commit to something. Are there any regrets that you have? I mean, are there things that you wish you could have pursued or you you paid more attention to throughout the course of your life? That's that's a really good question. I've never actually been asked that. But one thing that I would always struggle with is um for example, I get I get offered like a job and it requires me to travel, which I love doing. And I always feel bad about missing milestones of my friends. Um, For example, when I did my master's abroad, you know, I was pursuing my dream, but I missed weddings and baptisms and birthday parties and, you know, even the ordinary everyday things that, you know, for example, seeing my best friend's baby when they were born, things like that. And sometimes I think, oh my God, when I die, ano bang maaalala ko? Like before I die, ano ba yung magiging important sa akin? That I gave this talk somewhere or that, you know, I saw my best friend's, like I was there during my best friend's daughter's first birthday party. So these are things that I really struggle with. Um, and sometimes I have to set a criteria eh, na 
how do I add value to that opportunity? So that's been my number one question now when I get offered something. And I think I've become a lot better at saying no to a lot of opportunities. You mentioned that you had a point a few years ago where you almost burned out. But how yeah. how did you recognize that, hey, I'm I'm on the edge already. And if I don't take a step back, then this might be catastrophic. My realization that I was burned out. Actually, I didn't even realize that I was burned out. Eh. I just felt like ayoko na talaga maging chief mermaid. Kalokohan na to. My feeling, I recognized that I was not in a good place when I would wake up and feel sad that I woke up. Like, oh, sana tulog na lang ko forever. Because I really don't want to be chief mermaid today. And all my motivation was was deadline. I mean, all I could think about to get me through the next day was I have a deadline. So, Shepard, when you have projects, you have grant deadlines and report deadlines. So that's the only thing that would push me to as a type A person <laughs> to make sure that I met those deadlines. But there was no joy. There was no creativity. There was no, you know, inner motivation to do more than what was required. And how did you get over that hump? I what happened was <laughs> this is such a hallmark cheesy moment. But I so that was so I started I moved back December 2015 and from then until about September I just kept thinking about my exit strategy. So it's like okay, I have one more grant, I have one more project and then I'm going to apply for another one and then I'll just see how I can let SPS die a natural death. And then I had one more conservation event to go to. I It was in Hawaii. I went to Hawaii. Um, of course, Hawaii is beautiful. It was, you know, surrounded by nature and the sea. Met a lot of really inspiring conservationists who were my age, who were also female, struggling with the same thing. So I felt like, oh my God, these are my people. Um, and then I was in a session on marine debris, on like marine plastics. And then... I don't know why, but I just started tearing up because <laughs> this is so gross. I just started tearing up because I was like, oh my God, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be in a room full of strangers talking about how to solve marine plastics. And that kind of became my epiphany na, oh my God, gusto ko talaga to eh. Masaya talaga ako pag ginagawa ko to eh. And then the next day, I received an email from one of our funders to say that they're giving us funding for another year of the youth program we were doing and they wanted actually to scale it and and bring more people from other countries to that that camp, to that workshop that we were doing. So that week was just like, okay, every time I say I'm going to quit, ito paling nangyayari. So maybe this is what is what is meant for me and that I also have to admit that I'm happy doing it. So there's that there's that risk that you run when, when you dedicate yourself and all your time and all your effort to a singular passion. There's the risk of, I don't know, get sick of it. Maybe that's badly put, but but you at some point you don't feel as in love with it as as you previously were. And was that something that you realized getting into this? That there's that risk? You know, I don't get bored with my job because Ang dami kong ginagawa. Like when I say I'm a marine conservationist, 
See, I, I've always had a problem with with titles because I feel like it never encapsulates really what I do. And but we need these titles just for the sake of simplicity, right? Um, when I was when I wasn't a marine conservationist yet, I was working as a lifestyle journalist, but I was also doing a lot of different things. But I would just say writer to make it simple. And now I just say marine conservationist to make it simple. But actually, as a marine conservationist, I work as a researcher, public speaker, you know, workshop designer, module developer, editor, copywriter, graphic artist, project manager, fundraiser. So and dami dami kong no day is ever the same, which I think helps in in making sure that I stay excited um, about my work. But to your point na, yes, nakaka-umay siya minsan. So for example, I've been doing research on waste management and circular economy for over a year. And there are times when I'm like, sukang suka na ako. I don't want to. I don't want to think about plastics. I don't want to think about waste. I don't want to think about sharks. And this is why it helps to be interested in other things. So you know, I'm interested in like fitness, nutrition, uh, TV, like good shows on TV. I'm interested in a lot of different kinds of books. And it's funny when people give me books about conservation, I never read them because I. I mean, I don't read them outside work because. To me, I'm so so full of thinking about marine conservation and plastics and all of these things that I work on that when I do something out of it, it has to be completely the opposite. So, you know, like last month I read a book about restaurant critics. Um, I read a book about um, a fiction books about like life in Korea. You know, I mean, it's I have to learn to talagang not bring it always with me. Following your passion, finding and following your passion is for a lot of young people. It's really their goal in life. I mean, you know, that's the goal to be able to do something that you love and believe in so much that it doesn't feel like work. There's that saying. Mm. But I don't think people realize, and, and you're a testament to this. I don't think people realize that there are still going to be hardships and struggles along the way, even if you do find and follow your passion. Mm-mm. And and given given your entire journey so far, um, what would you tell people, women becoming disillusioned with making their passion the center of their life? Because mm. you know, I mean, it can it comes with struggles and it can be difficult to go through. I don't even like the term parang finding your passion or like following your passion because there's an implication that it is something to be found and that it is something that everyone is supposed to discover. I never thought that marine conservation would be my passion. And when I was in college, so as an English major, we actually had to, for my class on semantics, we had to study the word passion. And the etymology of passion is actually suffering, which I found really funny and quite apt. <laughs> um, so I think, hindi kailangan, number one, hindi kailangan karirin ang passion. You can be passionate about, I don't know, cooking or cross-stitch or 
baking and you don't have to put pressure on on making it an income generating thing like enjoy it mo lang siya uh, number two i think it's such a lie when people say follow your passion so you never have to work a day in your life for me it has been the complete opposite that following what i love to do and doing what i love to do has made me work so much harder and really commit to Powering through days when, oh my God, this is a dead end. Oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to raise funds for the next year. Oh my God, because of COVID, ang daming funders na pull out. So it's really a major commitment to pursue what you love. Minsan nga iniisip ko, if I worked in a corporation, hindi ko kailangan isipan yung sweldo ko o sweldo ng team ko, di ba? I don't need to pay for my own my own healthcare. I don't need to worry about certain things. But ko, 10 years na nandito pa rin ako eh. So I guess there's also that part of me that enjoys the suffering part of the pursuit <laughs> of passion. But at the end of the day, I mean, with all the realizations that you've mentioned and all the milestones and uh, those special mo- eureka moments that, that you've mentioned, at the end of the day, why do you keep on doing it. I mean, because because you you can stop at any time, as you mentioned. Yeah. You can you can you have other interests, you you have other capabilities and talents. I mean, why do you end up sticking to it still? There are many reasons for that. One is because I really enjoy it. And I think when I started out, it was really about I couldn't take the injustice that was happening in the environment, which is still something that fuels me. For me, kasi hindi tama na napakangganda ng Pilipinas and we're doing all of these destructive activities to the environment. There's that sense of social justice in me that hindi, I can't just sit down and just watch it happen because I know that I, you know, I come from a fairly privileged background where I can care about the environment and I can care about, you know, creating modules for climate education and marine protected areas. Um, There's also the selfish part of it that I enjoy it. Um, And I think the kind of career that I have maximizes my potential and my abilities. And I've always been the kind of person who runs after that to make sure that I'm pushing myself. Um, and then I feel like this is where I can contribute the most to to the Philippines and, and to, to the world. Uh, and, and the more, I guess, sentimental side, it's just because I love this country. And I have always been proud to be Filipino. And this is one way that I can do my little part in, in, in community building and nation building. So for anyone, for any woman struggling through the same predicaments, like uh, just getting through the, the day-to-day hardships and difficulties of, of doing whatever they're doing and, and getting burnt out and, and all, of these, all of these things that you have faced also in the past, what would, you, what would you tell them just to keep them going? It's important to have an honest conversation with yourself and what your motivations are for doing something. It's okay to quit. It's okay to... I think, you know, society has placed so much like bad rep on quitting or moving on from something that you 
are known for or have been doing. But it's okay to restart. Um, and it may be different from what you're doing now or it can be the same. But it's just important to have that conversation with yourself and you know, recheck your motivations and also rest. I mean, and, and this is advice I also need to take for myself. Um, but we shouldn't glamorize, we shouldn't glamorize being tired and working too hard because hindi siya nakakaganda. True. True. <laughs> so just take a step back. And if you can, if you have that space to rest, then, then do it. Thank you so much, Anna, for coming on What Glass Healing and sharing all of your wisdom. And this was a really fun conversation and, and we took away so much from it. And thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. We thank really you. appreciate Thank you for this. having me. Check out the other episodes of What Glass Ceiling and follow us on Instagram at WGC Pump. <laughs>